Restoring America, Part 1A. Remembering our Declaration of Independence. Appealing to the Supreme Judge of the World. 4th of July, 1776. A quote from Benjamin Franklin. We must all hang together or assuredly we shall all hang separately. Excerpts from the text of our Declaration of Independence from England on the 4th of July, 1776. Excerpt number one. Notice in this excerpt our founding father's dependence upon God in declaring independence from England. Now the excerpt. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude, that is, morally correct behavior or thinking or righteousness for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these 13 united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration of independence from England with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We need to pray for American leaders who publicly appeal to the supreme judge of the world and ask us as Americans to have firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The second excerpt. As Americans, if we are going to declare independence, it behooves us to explain why we are declaring independence. When, in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, 
and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to that separation. The history of the present king of Great Britain, King George, is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. The third excerpt, a list of a few of the complaints we as Americans had against England. He, that is King George, has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be a ruler of a free people. Complaint number one against King George. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever, he has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislature for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment of any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. The fourth excerpt, self-evident truths that we have a choice as America. We can put ourselves under God's law, that is the Ten Commandments, and acknowledge that we are all created equal under those laws, that is God's laws, or we can choose to be under the law of man, which always ends up in tyranny. James Madison, our fourth president, who is called the father of our American Constitution, sum things up this way. We have staked the future of our civilization and all our political institutions upon the capacity 
of mankind for self-government upon the capacity of each and every one of us as Americans to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Now, how many times are we hearing that in America today? Now, the fourth excerpt. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in order to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. So we see that our 13 American colonies had come to a breaking point with England where King George was attempting to establish an absolute tyranny over them. Therefore, the 13 colonies reached out with an olive branch of diplomacy many times and having fallen on the deaf ears of King George of England, they have come to that pivotal point in which the only option left is war. That is, if they want to continue to live in a free country and not under the heavy hand of King George encroaching upon their liberties as free independent states. In our Declaration of Independence, they appealed to the supreme judge of this world for divine protection. Then in the second quote, and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Is that not refreshing? And is not that what we need from our leaders all across America today. So the question is, were the principles of Christianity dominant in the thinking and the reasoning of our founding fathers? Questions, number one, is America founded on Christian principles? Number two, are the vestiges of Christianity still in our DC capital today? Number three, was our early American government permeated with principles of Christianity? Question four. Did our founding father's government print the Bible and distribute it to the schools? Google U.S. Capitol Tour David Barton YouTube to find answers to these questions in this very fascinating tour.
What we saw in this video is just the tip of the iceberg, for Christianity had permeated the American colonies. George Whitfield, the greatest evangelist in American history, preached over 18,000 sermons to the American colonists. His face was almost as well known as George Washington. He preached in the fields most of the time with sometimes over 25,000 in attendance. Benjamin Franklin, who as far as we know, never became a born-again Christian, writes about the great influence of George Whitfield upon the colonists in his autobiography. Here is a quote from his autobiography. But the clergy, taking a dislike to George Whitfield, soon refused him their pulpits, and he was obliged to preach in the fields. The multitude of all sects and denominations that attended his sermons were enormous, and it was a matter of speculation to me, who was one of the number, to observe the ex extraordinary notwithstanding his common abuse and his influence of his oratory on his hearers and how much they admired him, respected him by assuring them they were half beasts and half devil. It was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. It seemed as if the world were growing religious so that no one could walk through the town in the evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. He had a loud and clear voice and articulated his words and sentences so perfectly that he might be heard and understood at a great distance. I allowed two square feet per person, composed that he might well be heard by more than over 30,000 of our inhabitants. Let us keep in mind that George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison were just kids during this great bondage of the will doctrine awakening. When this doctrine is dominant, the true Jesus is dominant, and thus the absolute truth is dominant. Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, that is the true Jesus. This is how we became that shining city upon a hill. Blessed is a nation whose God is the true Jesus. As we have seen above in the short video of the Capitol tour and the excerpt from Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, it is clear that Christianity was having a great influence upon the colonists. And we will find out as this message unfolds that the leadership of the 13 colonies were also influenced greatly by the Christian principles. As Americans, we must not forget this. 
For we all know that America has been a beacon of light to the world for over 200 years. But where did this beacon of light find its genesis? Is not that genesis found in us as Americans who first and foremost acknowledge with repentant hearts who it is that is the true king and ruler of this world and seek from him wisdom. For he is not only the governor of America, but he is also our great counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Psalm thirty-three, twelve. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his inheritance. Verse 13. The Lord looketh from the heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. Psalm 22, verse 28. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called what? That is correct. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. George Washington knew that Jesus was not only our Lord, but was governor of the nations. And he exhorts us as Americans that we might unite and most humbly offer up prayers and supplications to our Lord and ruler of the nations, beseeching him to pardon our sins, whether in public or private stations. Why? In order that we might perform our duties properly. Listen to George Washington. And also that we may unite as Americans in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of the nations and beseech him to pardon 
our national and other transgressions that would be acts of sins to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly. Isn't that refreshing? To have a righteous leader acknowledge that our Lord is not only our Savior, but the ruler of the nations. And therefore, it behooves us as Americans in order for us to be in good standing with the ruler of the nations that we must come before him with repentant hearts and humbly beseech him to pardon us and guide us. Is this not the type of leader that our Lord and ruler of the nations is looking for? That he might lead us to repentance as a nation, which is in a moral meltdown. Let's find out. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Yes, God is looking for men with perfect hearts. But what kind of hearts are perfect hearts in God's eyes? Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one, which inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, that would be Jesus, I dwell in the high and holy place. With who? With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Our Lord's eyes are upon who? Our Lord dwells with who? Our Lord is nigh unto who? And our Lord saves who? Yes, it is those of whom are of a broken and contrite spirit, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And who are those who are of a broken spirit and contrite heart, but those who have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Yes, it is the righteous who have a broken spirit and contrite heart. It is the righteous who mourn over their original sin.
It is the righteous who hunger and thirst after righteousness for the new creation desires above all else to be holy. Matthew 5 verse 3. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is equal to the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Just think about that. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who is it that will restore righteousness to our land? What is God's answer to this question? Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and then will I forgive their sin. And then will I heal their land. That is America. Who is to blame for the moral meltdown in America, according to this verse? It is my people, is it not? Which is the true church. The free will church is certainly not taking the blame for they are falsely blaming the last times when there are many scriptures telling us the last times began at the cross. Just another lie the free will church has perpetrated upon the American people. 1 John 2.18 Yes, it is only the bondage of the will church, repenting and again seeking our Lord's face and again becoming dominant that can fix the moral meltdown by the trickle-down effect of John Q. Public knowing that original sin is sin and is the fountain from which all evil flows in this world is right out of their own heart. It is only when we as Americans, as a whole, have acknowledged that original sin is sin, that is, the evil proclivities of our heart are sin, before they find fruition in an act of sin, it is then and only then we can be a self-governing and self-reliant people which is non-negotiable for free America. 
we will now, as Americans, be able to do what James Madison, the father of our Constitution, says is a necessity. He admonishes this. We have staked the future of our civilization and all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and every one of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. In conclusion, if you would like to have accompanying patriotic music with this message, find this message on Spotify and then look for Playlist 4th of July, in which there are around four hours of patriotic music. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. In the name of Jesus, amen.